like you please to turn with me to a few scriptures in the New Testament. Firstly, in the Epistle to the Romans, chapter 1. In my Bible, it's on page 1348. 1348, Romans and chapter 1. And we'll start reading at verse 16. This is Paul writing. For I am not ashamed of the glad tidings, for it is God's power to salvation to everyone that believes, both to Jew first and to Greek. For righteousness of God is revealed therein on the principle of faith, to faith, according as it is written, but the just shall live by faith. For there is revealed wrath of God from heaven upon all impiety and unrighteousness of men holding the truth in unrighteousness. Because what is known of God is manifest among them, for God has manifested it to them. For from the world's creation, the invisible things of him are perceived, being apprehended by the mind through the things that are made, both his eternal power and divinity, so as to render them inexcusable. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, everyone that judges, who judges, for in that in which thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same thing. And I want to go on now to chapter 3. If you'll turn the page to chapter 3 and verse 21. But now, without or apart from law, righteousness of God is manifested, borne witness to by the law and the prophets, righteousness of God by faith of Jesus Christ, towards all and upon all those who believe. <coughs> for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth a mercy seat through faith in his blood, for the showing forth of his righteousness in respect of the passing by, the sins that had taken place before through the forbearance of God, for the showing forth of his righteousness in the present time, so that he should be just and justify him that is of the faith of Jesus. Now please turn with me to Acts 17, the book of the Acts, Chapter 17, page 1329. And verse 30. God, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, now enjoins men that they shall all everywhere repent, because he set a day in which he's going to judge the habitable earth in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed, giving the proof of it to all in having raised him from among the dead. I would like to speak to you this evening about the righteousness of God. Before I do that, I would draw your attention in our first scripture to verses 19 and 20. It may be that there's someone here who doesn't believe there is a God. And I want to show you from these two verses how the evidence of creation proves the existence of God. It tells us nothing about his person or his heart, 
but it tells us there is a God. Now, I do not understand how persons can not believe in creation. How can something, the world in which we live, come out of nothing without an outside power? It is totally impossible. Nobody here can create something from nothing except God. And God tells us he did it. And that is enough for me. I believe that God exists. And I trust every one of you here tonight has that same conviction. Because the things that are made, that's the creation of this world, of this earth, proves the eternal power and divinity of God. Think of the power of God who spoke. And out of darkness light shone. And the power of God who created, it says in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Think of the power of God in being able to do that. Not a single person uh, on the, in this world has ever been able to create life from nothing, from inanimate substance to produce life. I don't think it can be done. God has done it. He's created man. Dust. Out of dust we're made. And to dust we return. God tells us. And you'll find it's true from science. So, my dear friends, I beg of you to believe in God. That's a starting point. If you think that these, this wonderful earth, this wonderful world, I'm talking of the physical world, not men and women and children. God here by accident, and that you and I developed out of some kind of pea soup, you, you must be foolish. You really must, because it isn't true. God created the heavens and the earth. And you and I have been created by God. Man was created by God. And that's why I read to you this. I feel impressed to speak to you first of all about it, because I trust there's no one in this room who doesn't believe in God. Because if you don't, now is the time to take account of the creation of God, the world. You've only got to walk a few hundred yards and you see the power of the sea. God created it, he put it there. You can walk a few more hundred yards the other way and you can see some beautiful hills and you can go to Scotland or Wales or wherever, the north of England, and see beautiful mountains and lakes. All of that is an evidence to man, to unregenerate man, of God's existence, his eternal power and divinity. Now, I'm assured that there's no one here like that, but in case there is, I refer you to this scripture. Now, I'd like to speak to you about the righteousness of God. Righteousness of God is one of his attributes. And God is righteous. He's not only holy, he is holy. He's righteous. And God is love. God is light and God is love. We're told all this in the Bible. You see, you won't learn about God exactly from creation. You'll know there is a God, but you won't know anything more about him than that he's all-powerful and a divine being. But I want to tell you a bit more about him. God is righteous. Now, what is it 
to be righteous. Well, if men and women are righteous, they do what is right. But God exists. He's powerful. He's righteous. But I want to tell you how that God has dealt with sin. You see, God created man in his image. God created man and wanted to enjoy his company. And he enjoyed, maybe, we're not told in scripture his company, but man disobeyed God. By one man sin. It only took one act of disobedience to plunge a wonderful creation of God into chaos and sin and evil. The evil that exists in the world today isn't in the power of nature. It's not in the mountains and the sea and all the rest of it. It's in your heart and mind. That's where the evil is. And it's because of disobedience. Now, every one of us in this room, and it doesn't make palatable hearing, but I have to say it, we are all sinners. And we have all disobeyed. All men have sinned and come short. All have, there is no difference, we've read. All have sinned and come short. They have sinned, past tense, and come short, present tense. By sinning, by disobeying God, we come short of what he expects of man. Man is a responsible being. God has created him thus. God created man with responsibility. And he gave him a garden, to, to, a wonderful garden. God planted the Garden of Eden. I'm sure you've probably heard me say it before. Wonderful garden. We enjoy gardens. I love a garden. I'm sure many, if not all in this room do. But God's garden must have been the most wonderful place. Eden, place of delight. And what a delight it was to God. Everything was there and he put man in it. He put man in this wonderful place to till it and to guard it. Gave man a job and a responsibility. And man failed in both. As a result of sin, man was cast out of the garden. And the evidence of sin in this world isn't far to look. You can read a paper, you can watch your television, you can listen to your radio, and you will find day and every day there's evidence of sin, of disobedience, of murder, of rape, and all the rest of it. And you will find that because it's all in man's heart. What is happens in the world today is in your heart and mind. Thank God if you've never done it, but it's there Sin is in my heart. And therefore, since the Adam's fall, man has been at a distance from God. But the good news, the glad tidings, glad tidings, my dear friends, means good news. And I've given you some pretty bad news. And you don't have to look far in the world to find plenty more. But the good news is that God has a remedy for sin. God is righteous and he's dealt with sin. The Lord Jesus Christ has come into this world. Think of that. 
A little while ago, a lot of people were thinking about Christmas. And Christmas, as you know, is the time when persons think about the birth of Christ. Now, that was a wonderful thing, that God should have sent his son into this world, born in a stable, not in a palace, not in Buckingham Palace or anywhere else, in a stable. And he wasn't put in a wonderful crib, he was put in a manger. That is the lowly incoming into this world of my Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. He came into manhood. God manifest in flesh. I can't understand it. I can only tell you what God says. And it's true. God has been manifest in flesh. Think of that. Think of the love of God. Our brother mentioned the love of God this afternoon. Think of the love of God sending his son into a world of lost, ruined sinners who who disobeyed and hated him. Because that's what you and I do by nature. I would hate God, and I do by nature, I did, until God saved me through his grace. But everybody has turned. All have sinned. Not one exception. Not one of, even Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle, was a sinner, a persecutor of Christians. And you know, if you look at a map of the world, you will find a large portion of the world today is occupied by persons who are persecuted. I've been quite shaken by it, to see outside of Europe and North and South America in part, most of the Southern Hemisphere uh, contains lands where Christians are persecuted. Well, Saul of Tarsus was doing just that. And he thought he'd get rid of the name of Christ, and he couldn't. And persons have tried ever since. And there's been numerous persecutions of Christians in this world and not one of them has been able to get rid of the name of Christ. It can't be done because of who he is. So, my dear friends, God is righteous and he has revealed his righteousness and he's revealed it by dealing with sin. Now, sin is disobedience and you and I are sinners because we disobey. There's not one of us in this room that is not a sinner and is not disobedient. Not one of us. And therefore, we need a remedy. And God has dealt with sin. He has, the judgment of God on sin has fallen on the head of Jesus when he suffered and died on Calvary's cross. Those three hours of darkness on Calvary's cross, the Lord Jesus Christ bore the righteous judgment of a holy God on sin. And God has dealt with it. He's judged it. Sin is never forgiven. Sins are, your sins may be, mine have been. But sin itself, the principle of disobedience, is not forgiven. It's judged of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ bore that judgment. Christ bore our sins. He not only bore the judgment of God against sin, but my sins are included. The Apostle Peter, we were reading this afternoon, he said, Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
Wonderful thing, isn't it? That somebody has taken my place. Somebody has taken the judgment of God that I deserved for my sins. He's taken it upon himself. And he's dealt with it completely once and for all. Now that means I can tell you good news. Your sins may be forgiven because Christ has died for them. Now isn't that just wonderful? Can you imagine how could you or I stand before a holy God in our sins? We couldn't. And God would have to come out in judgment. Every time in the Old Testament God came down to earth, there was judgment. If you check through, you'll find that's true. God has had to because of sin. But now we live in a day of grace because of the righteousness of God being met by the Lord Jesus. Grace can reign. Grace reigns through righteousness. God's grace can be known by you and me because his righteousness has been met and he can righteously forgive you your sins because of what Jesus has done. What a wonderful thing it is that the Lord Jesus Christ has died for our sins. There'll be no good news here in Taring Road for you tonight if that was not true. The Lord Jesus Christ has been here, has suffered on account of sins. You know, one of the results of man's disobedience was exactly as the Satan said, that the serpent said, you will know the difference between good and evil. Man knows, and you know, what's right and what's wrong. If you don't, I'm very sorry for you. But if you do, it doesn't mean you've got the power to do what's right. Man generally knows what's right and wrong and has no power to do what's right. But everything can be dealt with and given to you by God himself through Jesus. The Lord Jesus has dealt with the sin question and now God is righteously able to forgive you and me my sins. And moreover, he will give you the gift of his Holy Spirit. Not only would he clear that ground and bring you into right relationship with him, but he'd give you the power to enjoy it and the power for your walk. God gives his spirit to those who obey. Now, I turn finally to Acts 17. Paul is there preaching to Gentiles, to non-Jews, to Greeks. Athens, Mars Hill. And he's speaking largely to people like you and me. And he says, God has overlooked the times of ignorance and now enjoins men that they all shall, that they shall all everywhere repent. There's no exceptions. There's nobody alive today that doesn't need to repent for their sins. Not only is there nobody alive that can't be saved, there's nobody alive that cannot and should, well, does not need to repent. You and I need to repent. And you need to turn to God. If you do, you will find God is willing and ready and able 
to forgive you. There's a picture of this in Luke 15. The younger son and the elder son. The younger son, as you probably all of you know, he decided he'd do his own thing and he left, left his father's house and he went off into the far country which speaks to us of the world and he had a pretty good time for a while. He did everything he wanted to. He lived in debauchery. But suddenly things went wrong. You may be away from God. You may be doing your own thing. But one day, and I hope it'll be soon, things will go horribly wrong and you'll come to yourself. I desire that if there's anyone here who doesn't know the Saviour, that God will bring you to yourself right now. And that you will realise that you're missing out on the blessing, on the love, on the grace, on the, on the wonderfulness of God. Well, the younger son went off and he had a good time. And then the money ran out and a famine came. There's a terrible famine in the world. But God has a house of plenty. The father's house was still there and the father was looking out for his son. And the son said, coming to himself, I repent. And that's what God is looking for from your heart and from mine. He's looking for repentance. And repentance means telling God you're sorry and saying you're a sinner. Admit your responsibility. Admit your failure. And get back to God and find in him that he will forgive your sins. He will give you the best road. He will provide everything you need. Now, I'm not preaching a gospel that says get converted and you'll get rich in world's money. I'm saying that God will provide for your needs as he's provided for mine. But God is a wonderful God. He's righteous. Tonight, 2023, he's righteous and he's righteously able to save the sinner who repents. That's what God is looking for from me, from you, from everyone. God enjoins that all men everywhere shall repent. No exceptions, because all have sinned. If all have sinned, all need to repent. So I beg of you to repent, to turn to God, to tell him you're the sinner that needs a saviour, that he will give you his forgiveness. The younger son in Luke 15 got forgiven. His father, he got more than that. His father covered him in kisses, brought out the best robe, killed the fatted calf, and so on and so forth. God has more resources than you ever could imagine. And he will be able to take you, keep you, guard you, and guide you. Well, how wonderful is God? His righteousness, you know, has not been one whit endangered or decreased by the fact that he is able to bless you because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has met that need, met and paid that debt. He has paid the price of sin. We sometimes sing, don't we? There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the door of heaven and let me in. There's no other that can do that. There's no other saviour for sinners. If this 
way is wrong. There's nothing else in this world for you. Spiritually. But it's not. This is, as I believe, and genuinely so, and scripture proves it, this is the, the way of truth. It's not a way. There's no such thing, you know, as all roads lead to heaven. They don't. Man's religion is largely based on what he thinks he can do to deserve, earn, or merit something from God or whatever in the next life. And at the end of the day, God is going to judge the world, inhabit, the habitable world in righteousness. I'm not speaking, I haven't read here the great white throne. I've read what the Lord will do when he comes to reign. The Lord is coming very soon for all who believe in him. If you don't believe this, read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 from verse 15 and you will see very clearly that the Lord Jesus will come soon for his church. He's not coming to earth, we'll meet him in the air. When he comes to earth, he comes to reign. That is the millennium that I believe in and scripture speaks about. The Lord is coming to reign in the very world that cast him out. In the very city where he was crucified, he will appear. And he will come with power and great glory. The Lord Jesus came in lowliness and meekness as a babe in Bethlehem's manger. When he comes again, it will be in power and great glory and every eye will see him. Think of that. What a wonderful day it will be for this poor dark world when the Lord comes out and puts it right and reigns in righteousness. But now is the day of grace and now is a moment when you may be offered free salvation. May not be another week. This might be the last week the church is on earth. When the Lord may come this week, are you ready? What would happen if you woke up one morning and found that half your family are gone? What would happen, how would you feel if you were left behind? I, I mention these things because they're very real. I can remember as a boy going into my parents' bedroom to see if they were still there. I wonder how many here have had that experience. Well, we're still here and the Lord is coming. And every day brings that return nearer. And I ask myself, and I challenge you, are you ready? Are you ready? Are your sins forgiven? Have you got the gift of the Spirit? Are you ready to depart to be with Christ? Because you know, if the Lord doesn't come, many in this room will be going to be with him via death. And that's a very sobering thought. We may have to face the article of death. Are you ready? How do you feel about going to be with the Lord? How do you feel about leaving things behind? I challenge myself. I'm not just here to speak to you. It comes home to me. But God is waiting in grace. We sometimes sing, God waits in grace with hands.